Enthusiasm with multi-tonal voice. Yes. 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 I had <clears throat> eggs and ham for breakfast. It was delightful. A little bit on the salty side. Um, and I had some mackerel with it as well. And that was good. Well, thank you for introducing the podcast. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Are we, we rolling? We are rolling. Sneaky old roll. The old sneaky, sneaky roll. roll. Uh, Greg Hards. Hello. Hello. Jo- joining us here from the USA. <coughs> yeah. Um, so, how does it feel waking up every morning knowing that I am your brother? <laughs> it must be... It must be a good feeling. Yeah, no, it is a good... Yeah, it is a good feeling, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you miss me? Oh. When, you, when I'm away? Yeah, massively. What do you think the biggest... Uh, how do you think... What, what do you think the biggest influence has been um, for me, personality-wise, on you? Or, like, top three ways I've influenced you? <laughs> choose choose wisely here. <laughs> good Lord. Um... Yeah, I don't know. It's difficult because I haven't really had a, I haven't really had like a partner study to compare, um, or another. What as in another, as another, in brother, another brother, brother and be like, oh, that's what Greg gave me that that one didn't. Mm. So it's a different. <laughs> difficult. Yeah, but I can say that about Viv. I can hear. I, I there's things I pick up from from him. Yeah, that maybe I, I should. Maybe I'll answer that in a bit because my brain doesn't work very quickly with those sort of questions. Maybe I'll like come the, back to me at the end yeah, of the, like the new, new Year's resolution. Yeah, the New Year's resolution I came up with today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, let's let's start with uh, Greg. So, what what do you do? Explain. Uh, yes, I'm a filmmaker, uh, film director, and uh, I direct documentaries and commercials. Um, and yeah, the big boy, big boy levels. Big boy levels, I wouldn't say quite yet. Uh, I'm I'm always striving to do better work, um, but I have just finished my first feature, so I feel like that was like a a nice kind of little ceiling that I broke. Mm. Um, and speaking of New Year's resolutions, that was a very much a goal was to kind of make a feature film before I was thirty, and didn't make that. I'm thirty one, so. <laughs> Uh, that, that must, that's such a huge achievement to work to to produce a feature. Yeah, and it seems really insurmountable until you wake up one day and this you've you've done it. And it was the 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 biggest lesson for me was psychologically like the the benefit of long termism and just kind of being like okay, well actually if you chip away at something, then you have this hole you come out the other end with this hole and I don't think I really truly believe that before and that's the case with that's the case of anything not just not just in terms of filmmaking but in terms of anything mm. I feel like I'm quite an impatient person and it's like taught me the value of just chipping away and patience because there's no way I mean we made this over two and a half years and it's just like there were points mm. where we were just like what are we doing uh, that's that's mm. something that I you know I doing also not at the level you are by far but um working video production what i loved about it it was the short form uh production cycle like really if you work most of the videos i produce in and out within a week but working on something for two and a half years is 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 based yeah and 
but I think that there's a lot to be said for the short-term stuff as well and and I actually love I love doing both alongside each other so within that time we were doing you know commercial work and um, those turnarounds we it usually like with with when you're a director like it you start the project from start to finish so you you it's your kind of baby throughout and so projects on average last about a month something like that but then all the time ticking away in the background this guy's life is kind of unfolding and you're kind of checking in with him all the Mm. time and you're going to like you're going up to shoot him for like a week at a time and it's almost like you then you then land in his world and you're back there and it's like a familiar place um and it reminds you of what you're working on in, in, in terms of long term. But I think if I was just doing that, I don't know. I haven't been. I haven't, can't decide really what the best route is. I think there's a lot to be said for like focusing on one thing. Um, Christopher Nolan does that. He's like, okay, when I'm in a project, a minute, I'm like completely focused and, and on one thing. Whereas Spielberg's kind of, he's like doing the previs for uh, Ready Player One while he's directing I don't know what was it I can't remember this is Tom, something with Tom Hanks in probably oh the the, what, the, Band of Brothers? the post no the he was doing the post and then yeah that's it and 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 he was doing previs in his spare time which is obviously on shoot days not any spare mm. time he's doing that so he's like kind of juggling all these balls whereas Nolan just completely immerses himself in like one project he's like this is what I'm doing mm. for the next two years or three years and he mm-hmm. just does it I feel like there's something that's really cool about that. Do you and think that you could operate in that sort of environment? I think I... If financial, you know, if, if budget wasn't an issue and they're like, well, right, we're going to just get you in for two years and that's the whole, your sole yeah, project. I mean, that really excites me. Yeah. But it's, it's, the, it's the same thing. If like, I still am not, I'm still impa- an impatient person. And I, my focus is not as good as it should be, so I I really enjoy flitting between mm. things, but that's not the more, the longer it goes on, the more I realise that's not good. It's not it's not actually it doesn't develop. It doesn't create good work. Yeah, it's like when you're looking at a project for so long and you just you you you, you lose that like outsider's perspective, and I feel like when I'm like working on a project and I've just spent two days on it and I, I'm so eager to just send it out and be like that's good, yeah. that's great, out, and it's like actually hold back let's give it a couple of days yeah. get a fresh set of eyes and then have a look back and then reflect but like, actually could I have moved that about a bit like Damien Chazelle took like wrote La La Land over six years six years and he had like so many rewrites so many rewrites and like every one of those rewrites is a prob- is, is solving an, a, a problem that you that you had with the film before and then it's just like closing one of those loops and you you can only do that with time mm. and it's yeah yes. maybe you could describe um the fighting for a city journey uh quickly yes from sort of how did it how did it come about um a bit of a well s- summary of the the um, so we were you know commercial directors hadn't but more within the documentary realm <clears throat> So we've done, you know, done a lot of uh, documentary shorts, and um, that's what we kind of specialise in. Then we worked with a guy, um, Richard Moore, who in on like a Heineken job in in uh, Nevada, 
and we did we shot with him over a couple of days and it was like a super intense job with like dune buggies and crazy amount of hours and then he kind of come back and he just finished this uh documentary called being ap um about ap mccoy and he recommended us to the executive producer on being ap because they were looking to do another sports documentary and went out for a pint with him and he said you know i went out with this i went out for dinner with barry hearn who's the box uh well boxing promoter he's his son eddie hearn is the main boxing promoter in the country and so his dad did like he made snooker popular base uh, yeah i mean anyone that makes <laughs> snooker popular yeah and a commercial commercially viable sport is should be have some respect <laughs> and um, and he was like and he this this producer wanted to make a film about the eubanks because eubank junior eubank obviously is chris eubank is a son that boxes and it's a pretty cool story because chris eubank is uh, weird and he was like do not go near that guy like he's insane i really just like just psycho just like he's uh very controlling and just very difficult to work with very erratic mm. um uh he, yeah he's a strange man and he'll want like you know full control over the final cut and you know you just can't have that as mm. a director you just can't can't give away final cut um anyway so he was like you want a real story josh warrington is the biggest story in boxing right now and you look up josh warrington um on youtube and there is just this these there are these crazy um phone videos from fans um in uh the leeds arena going nuts during his ring walk his ring entrance and it it's um kaiser chiefs i predict are right and they're all the Leeds United football fans. They all get hammered during the Leeds United game during the day, and then they come and watch the boxing, and uh, and just throw pint glasses at boxers and pint just like pure hooliganism. Pint, pint, pint glasses full of piss as well. And there's like a, a notorious block called Block 105, and they all of the the diehard Leeds firm. They all stay in one block 105, which is central, upper tier, central to the ring. And they all go, they all take the tops off, go absolutely nuts. And it's just like, no one in British boxing has the kind of support that Josh Warrington has. And he's a featherweight and he has no titles. He's British champion, but he has no titles. Doesn't have a hard punch, so doesn't really knock people out. And he's quite an unorthodox fighter in general. No one in the boxing world, world rates him. Everyone in Leeds loves him. He's like the city's hero. Um, so he was like, do you want to do a film about him? And we were like, yeah, yeah, we do. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, and it was, like, it was crazy because we thought he was going to... Had, he's had this long uh, ongoing rivalry, Lee Selby, who's the, who's the IBF world champion, Welsh guy. Um, they've been mouthing off at each other for years. It's a rivalry that's kind of built up, and it was built up by Eddie Hearn, his promoter at the time, um, for over an, over a number of years, and to the point where Leeds and the Leeds fans were just baying for blood. They wanted this Lee Selby fight, and Josh wants to make it happen. Josh is a ticket; he's you know what they call you know a ticket seller, because and so he's kind of shot he shot up in the ranks because he was actually generating money. Most boxers don't bring anyone; they don't get ten ten supporters go see him. 
but Josh is like this man of the people, lovely guy, charming guy, like played football Conor in all McGregor these leads. Leeds. Leeds you know, yeah, he's he's more actually like um, Ricky Hatton of Manchester. Mate, he the, he was like Ricky Hatton. Yeah, he was. <laughs> I don't really know. Well, <laughs> he he. I mean, he he was the last person. Ricky Hatton. He, he fought Mayweather and uh, got. Oh, right. He actually got beat up by Mayweather pretty hard. Yeah, he was a good fight, good fighter to watch, but like very aggressively getting your face or sort of fighter. Oh really? But it meant he got he, 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 he no, he got hit a lot. Yeah. Uh-huh. But he could just wade through the punches. Yeah. And just, just, Absolutely, just real like yeah. pitbull. Pitbull, exactly. That was the last time we've had like a British boxer that's had that sort of that sort of level of support. And the reason he he has that support is because he's like go he still goes around and sells tickets to his fans. Like they all love him. I mean, he goes to every single Leeds United game. Like he's he's a, just a genuine bloke. And I feel like the, in a world in which we we don't really can you know sports fans don't really connect or football fans don't really connect with the footballers anymore because they just get paid so much money they can't relate to yeah their lifestyles whereas this guy is just like a just a normal lad mm. and Le- and people in Leeds appreciate that Yorkshire people appreciate that in general and you know I hate to, hate to generalise but I mean well, I can because I was there for two years they're just sure. really just honest people that's what they value most just authenticity mm. and not I don't know, like not getting above your station kind of thing and just like not forgetting your roots and being too big for your boots. They just, they don't, they don't have any of that. Yeah. And how was the production side of it? I mean, you know, from that beginning journey to, to where you're now, you know, you, it's all finished. How, you know, how, how did that start, you know, in, in pre-production? Well, oh man, I mean, when you're start so when you're starting a project like this, you're you you're trying to the the producers have to try and budget the film. But the problem with a documentary like this is an, it's an observational documentary, and it's based on you know we we've got our endpoint, which is quite a hard thing to do in itself. Is like establish your endpoint. The end, the end goal was the world title shot against Lee Selby. Mm. We thought that was going to be about a year, so we set up our production for that timeline. So you say, right, we'll have a shooting block here, we have like five days, you know, week, whatever. But you, you only have a certain amount of shoot days because you only have a certain amount of budget, right? Mm. The trouble was, is that this like dragged on over two years. And so like, that's really hard to... Did you have to dilute your production days or did you manage to get some funding to push that extra? It was a bit, it was a bit of both. Like we we were just super passionate about the project and therefore whenever something happened for instance when he's getting married we're like right we'll get the train up mm. go shoot and get married it's like we have to do that it's like it's not in the budget but we'd, we'll just do that that's the story and and yeah and so the, the, I don't know like I would love to spend you, the, the, the amount of days it takes to shoot a documentary like this is crazy mm. and because it's just observational it's not you're not going to get you're not going to get um, it's not a shot list no and, and yeah, you're not you also getting those moments in which they relax you don't keep to make so, it work and the thing this is the thing that kind of sets sets the, the documentary apart in general is that it's actually when you look at it um, observational documentaries are quite few and far between purely for the reason that they're really hard to do and they're, because they're really hard to predict so we could have actually got to a point where no, his his career just fizzled out, and we would have wasted two years of our lives. Mm. And everyone, 
you, anyone can make a documentary out of a retrospective story and you can do that to varying degrees of quality but you know you sit people down oh what happened you do, do a bunch of interviews you cobble a load of archive footage together maybe even shoot like original footage but to actually have a story in the present that you're taking the audience from this point in time to this point in time is 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 rare actually when you actually have a look at mm. you know go on go on Netflix and be like okay how many of these are actually observational documentaries and the good thing about that is that it it means that you, if you do it right the the audience is going on the journey in real time with your characters mm. and that was super important to us yeah especially when you're trying to keep that engagement you know with with that sort of work to get someone to, to dedicate that time mm. it's <coughs> yeah go on well I was going to say you're saying it's not you were saying earlier it's a long term project with that's very uncertain do you have would you have any tips for someone else embarking on that length of project in terms of how did you best manage your psychology mm. and sort of stay positive and you know fight off those those doubts that creep in Mm. Yeah, I feel like I, you know, <coughs> yeah. Basically, I, I agree with what Kirk says. <laughs> well, do you know what? Uh, I think the main thing is uh, not letting yourself, not kidding yourself, that a moment that you might be able to get is not worth getting. It's a load of hassle going out and shooting. And sometimes you're like, okay, will this be important to our story? And and um, it's almost like sometimes it was like, will this be important to our story? But also, and what you mean by that is, is this worth going to the, through the rigmarole mm. of getting all your camera together? And we shot, you know, it's not a small camera. We shot an Alexa, so it's like it's a big deal. It's all this all this gear. Mm. It's a little, a small production team, but it's significant. Um, deciding whether like. Um, are we not going out and shooting this because like it's too much hassle because it's only for a day, or are we going out and sh are we not shooting this because it's not, it doesn't doesn't match it doesn't fit in with the story? Mm. So the most important it's it's all a decision making process. Like, is this like what like is this press conference important to our story? Will it actually go in our film? And if it if it might, then go shoot it. If there's a 5% chance that it will be in the film, go shoot it. Mm. Get that coverage and and go shoot it. But but often there's stuff that you, you know, actually a press conference is a good good example. We can't have a film full of press conferences. And it, it's and we didn't really want that. We wanted like behind the scenes. We wanted to be, the, the stuff that the cameras didn't actually see. So so even though a press conference seems like a significant event, the, the footage that you actually go get there will be... Well, you you're not actually going to use it at all. Whereas stuff like going to um, register their kids at the registry office, that's the stuff that you you have to make sure you get. But you also have to have faith. You have to you have to have faith that like it's fine. You may not use any of this. You may not use any of this footage. But you just got to get it, and there's no shortcut to this stuff. The amount of like the, the the quality of our footage from the first year to the second year was huge. Like the, the the jump in quality was huge, because we were in a commercial mindset of like get this 30 seconds, get this 30 seconds, and and just kind of get various like tight shots with shallow, shallow depth of field. You, you were thinking aesthetically rather than 100%. yeah eased into the storytelling. Yeah. 
Um, whereas, whereas uh, something that I learned, and, and this is something I really, sh I mean, it, it kind of you, you learn as you go along as you start to watch the footage, is that, like I remember, because I, I, I worked for a, a photographer, um, uh, and he's a photojournalist, and he, uh, and that was like my kind of first job as an assistant, and he was, he'd always kind of critique my, my photography, and he'd be like, why aren't you using a wide lens? Like, you need to be able to tell, we need, you need to be able to tell a story within that one, one image. And so your, your eye needs to be able to, to go between one, uh, one subject to the next, look at where they are and, you know, um, where's the location, what's the lighting, what's the time of day. There's a million questions that you can answer through looking at this one image. But, it, but, but I'm sorry, what I mean by wide in kind of layman's terms is, is like being able to see the, uh, the, the image mm -hmm. instead of zooming in tight. A wide frame. To a... To 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 a to a person, yeah. So, um, what what I would find is that we'd we'd look at that footage and then we'd start cutting like cutting stuff together, and we'd be zoomed in on people's faces. Now that's cool if you want to you know concentrate on an emotional moment moment, but you're not actually telling the audience anything other than this person's what this first person's face look like, looks like. Whereas if you actually step back and just let the scene play out um, in front of you then your, your, your audience is just like gathering, mm. and it's even subconscious, like they're gathering all this information. What does this guy's flat look like? Sure, like Sean, um, J uh, Josh's dad, he's got like a really small, like two up, two down kind of uh, house. And you know, like he's got like kids, like wrestling toys all over the place. And it's, it's, it's kind of hodgepodge of things, but like, you know, it's a really it's home. The, it's a really nice little home. A thousand words. Yeah, and like by by sitting there and just showing the audience um, that 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 image, then you're telling them so much more more, and you're giving them so much more subtext to your characters, and it means that you you don't have to spell it out to them. And and really, essentially, what that is is it it was a uh, an exercise in removing the filmmaker's ego from the from the from the situation. Yeah like at first I'm like con concentrating on is does this shot look beautiful and whereas really what I should have been thinking about is what am I t what am I t what are we telling the audience here like what's the story we're telling what we did what are we doing here and give them as much information as possible so it's almost like you're kind of taking well, I mean that's how I felt a little bit like is that you're taking your ego out of it and I think that comes from confidence it's just like look we know how to shoot. It will look great. You don't have to try. You don't have to try too hard. You just let the camera. Just let mm. well. Let the subjects in front of you do the work and just sit back. Yeah, um, I, as, I I definitely agree with you on that one. I get caught up in the moment where I you know when I start evaluating the shots I've taken. Um, I, I find it difficult that you might you might start perceiving like the same shots. Like if you're filming everything at like yeah. 20 mil, 24, you know, everything's wide. And do you, yeah. how, how do you mix up that that yeah. framing? And when do you choose to, I want to get mid shots, I want to get close up. Right. So, so yeah, this is, uh, and this is another important thing. So we ended up just shooting most of the film. Once we kind of got past that, almost got, and when I say we, me and, me and Jacob and I, me and Jacob, uh, Jacob Proud who's my director partner and we shot the film as well so we both 
both directors of photography and both and both directors and we switched and we, we kind of kind of had this discussion of like we, we need to go wider we need to you know do for the for the reason stated and then for the rest of the film we, sh we shot most of the film on a 32 mil 32 mil lens again to the layman is like it just is a it's quite it it's a lens that gives you that kind of wide frame mm. shot that gives you a lot of information in the shot and actually if you look online look up what films were shot with one lens i actually just saw this yesterday <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, i think it's been going around recently yeah it's like a little there is an, a little thing there's an insane list of of the bet the you know some of the greatest movies of all time that were shot on one lens because mm. i guess i guess yeah with that approach you yeah i guess you could get too bogged down with thinking getting too technical we need this lens yes. we need that lens that, oh, yeah, rather yeah. than just going this is the lens i'm going to focus on what's it's happening in front of the lens exactly. <laughs> i'm going to get that and, and 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 the point is as well is that if you want to get tighter to to your point about oh well, how do i get that variety if you want to get tighter come in tighter mm. use your like you you use that kind of almost intuition to get come in tighter and and and, and then and move back yeah so use your feet Use your feet, yeah, exactly. I, mean, I think we're definitely getting lost in that uh, with, with such a variety of like zoom lenses. Mm. Um, it was like a little exercise that we used to do at like uni, not even, not even as a thing, but like I had friends of mine and we could only afford like a prime lens, so yeah. that's what you did, right? And um, it's, a I, I, it's a great exercise, yeah, yeah. And I, did you find that that was like did you find that was it was restrictive or it forces you, you to be more creative 100% and to get if you want to get closer and move forward um you get you do get a bit spoiled by having like a nice zoom lens especially if you're a little bit lazy um but the but the thing is the thing is with the zoom lens as well is like we we don't generally use zoom lenses um for a number of reasons for this we didn't use zoom lenses generally because it's weird i don't i don't know how much like jargon to talk in terms of filmmaking yeah. jargon just go ahead yeah yeah just go ahead yeah because yeah anyway <laughs> yeah talk talk the jargon um we didn't use zoom lenses because mate, a the, the zoom lens that we would want to use that look that that had gives us a good image is like an ingenue mm. and it's like uh it's really heavy so which ingenue did you use uh it's like, uh, okay maybe maybe <laughs> hang on maybe uh translate the jargon to me <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what was the word you just said? On ingenue is a well, actually, do, do you know what? No, let's take a step back because that's actually not important. Not important. No. The point is, is that with a zoom lens, the, with a zoom lens, meaning that you can you can uh, uh, go between different focal lengths within the one lens, so mm -hmm. you can zoom and zoom in and out within that one one lens. Whereas with prime lenses, you, you they're fixed, a fixed focal length. So if you want to, if you want to shoot like tighter in, you either have to walk in, yep. or you 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 put a longer lens on, like a seventy-five mil or something like that. Um, and can, can I just yeah, jump in? As I, do you think that affects the um, subject at all? The the fact that you you've got one lens on, so if you're shooting close, you're close. Yes. Do you think that affects? Um, do, you, do you think that's good for the subject knowing what sort of shot you're doing at all times mm. rather than or, or do you think that might be a bit distracting sometimes when you, you get 100% in and out 100% depends on the it, it depends on the subject yeah. but this is another thing as well is like you 
by coming in there's there's two things there's two two things where two ways in which that this it benefits you using just one lens or using a prime lens and and you know so if you want to switch it's deliberate it's a deliberate thing and it's a, it's kind of annoying to change um it makes every choice that you make deliberate. Mm -hmm. So if you you have to think about like, okay, what what am I saying in this shot? And like, God, I mean, you hear, I hear this all the time, but it is it is true, and it is kind of it's just so it's so key to meaning any sort of meaningful filmmaking or story storytelling is that is that. Uh, and I, and, I, and I say it as someone that's just done a million irrelevant shots in my life, um, is that you, you, have, you have to be saying something, making a statement with whatever shot you're getting. You should never ha get a shot for the sake of getting a shot because it looks pretty or just because you feel like you, you, sh you have to. What are you saying to the audience right now? And so by, coming, by moving in deliberately, you are, you are thinking to yourself, okay, I need a tight shot of this because this is what I want to convey to the audience or I need a wider uh, and because this is what I want to convey every every decision you make is a, is whereas if you have a zoom lens like where you're kind of going like that mm -hmm. what you tend to do is you'll you'll zoom in on a tight shot and you'll see the image and you'll be like oh that looks beautiful you know like I'll get this shot of you right now and you've got this lovely Halo. lovely kind of like you know, you've got this key light on this side, so you've got like a very contrasty face. You've got shadow on this side. Right now, your face looks absolutely gorgeous. You know, you. but that is like on a on a on a tight. I, I would. That would look. <laughs> yeah, I know. I definitely would. But the um, I on a tight that would look really good. So if I'm if I've got a camera right now, and I'm zooming in, and I see that shot, I'm like, oh. And especially when you come in. When you come in tighter, you get a more shallow depth of field. Is really a shallow, shallow yeah, depth so of field, which bogged down in the immediate aesthetics. It looks, yeah, yeah it looks cinematic. So you know, it looks cool. But like, I, I will more likely settle on that zoomed-in shot, mm -hmm. and but, but and that the aesthetic will take over over the actual the over over the story and what kind of statement that you're you're making. Yeah, that's, that's really, sorry. Go on. I know. I was saying. I'm in a. I'm in a, in a very early stages of filming a documentary myself or me, me and a, a friend of mine uh we're doing about like a british american football team and it's it's just been a huge learning experience i'm so interested in how mm. your your process is especially with this long form filming yeah um and i i think that i i would want to experiment is not the right word but i would like to focus on more fo fixed focal length yes um for for that same reason yes i, I, I like what you said it's something I've been very interested in recently is the um, just increasing intentionality in all of your actions, really. And mm -hmm. I like that that mm -hmm. it's it's you've increased a sort of barrier to entry, so that if you decide to do that, you have to think about oh, I'm doing that for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was like been sort of interested in the ideas of sort of minimalism at the moment, which isn't really. It's more. It's more about mm. intentional living than deprivation and living in a bare room. But it's just going through all your stuff and clutter and just learning how to get rid of things mm. uh, so that the things you do have are important to you. And you don't yeah. have all this 
because it creates like emotional baggage just having just having crap cl- clutter everywhere mm. also digitally as well even just i just tidied up the apps on my phone into folders and all of a sudden it was like a weight had been lifted i was like oh. <laughs> it was weird yeah. i didn't realize there was yeah. like an emotional baggage on having my phone cluttered but i think you can sort of apply that like to, to everything stress. yeah how was the post production like cuz i i feel like when you've got i mean i've seen i've seen how many drives you have Huh. And it's it's scary. Yeah, how much? How many terabytes do you have? In, That's a nice nice little secure cage now. I don't know if you saw that. It's oh, like, I haven't seen yeah. that. I saw him piled up. Yeah, <laughs> Jacob was very happy about that. He, he Dan helped with a bit of. Uh, yes, that was yeah. That was a separate project that I was um, just assisting on. Yeah. Um, on a, a a little shoot. Yes. Um, but I had the opportunity to kind of see. It was, it was a shoot that we'd done in America, and sh- shipped over to the to to the UK. And it was a hell of a lot of videos, like crazy amount. I mean, the amount they wanted actually for... <laughs> yeah, they rinched you. Like, they definitely got their money's worth. Yeah, they definitely got their <laughs> money's worth, yeah. But yeah, no, so... And Jacob's like super paranoid about security. So the first thing he ordered for that office was for the hard drives, just this huge cage with a padlock on. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, that's, that's the most scary thing. And I, I'm... Yeah. Especially when you're filming with big, you know, larger files. I'm, I'm Majority of my filming is is now with with raw format so yeah. i'm kind of getting used to using a lot of drive space yeah yeah um, yeah and you do it's just a fact of life you got to factor that into a job as well but yeah. um to but in in terms of editing mm. actually the same principle applies of this intentionality of like what is each shot saying and it's very easy to uh have too much clutter in your edit and have too many shots because you shot a certain amount of angles mm. and so you want to give your film variety you want to make it visually interesting you want it to be snappy you want the pacing to be snappy but actually the the key to editing is is cutting and being brutal with what your shots are because you have to be like what is this shot saying what is this how is how is this one shot moving the story on mm. it has to be a constant um forward momentum yes yeah, and if it doesn't say that there are so many shots from that film that we that we just thought were beautiful that we just cut because yeah. it's just like um and you we spent ages on as well and then you get to it and you're like why you know we don't need a 10 minute training scene of him like a rocky style training montage, montage. like mm. we got awesome footage of him training but anyone could get awesome footage of a guy tra- boxer training what is it actually telling us how is it moving the story on and like that is that's i mean that and that is again the well i would say the, the number one kind of thing i would say in terms of when you get to the cut the cutting of it mm. is is being brute just asking yourself so so strictly is how how is this moving the story on and if it doesn't move the story on get rid of it i think uh i my moment of that was i think honestly i think someone has to tell you that cut all that down and you know i remember doing a video like i first bought my little sony camera and i just wanted to take it everywhere and i thought stereotypically people just go to brighton and do the brighton film i was like that's what i want to do Mm. i found a lovely day took took the gimbal out the brought friend of mine and we did loads of filming around Brighton. I put together like a four or five minute video. And I, my brother came in the room and I said, what do you think of this? Cause I'm like super hyped. I'm like, each shot looks like, I'm just like, the lighting's great. Yep. That looks really good. And he's like, you can cut all of that in half. 
You, you've got like repeating shots. You don't need that. What's that about? And I was like, oh man. And I remember just taking that five minute video to a one and a half minute video. But, but that is so powerful. But that happens over, you can, you, you have, obviously, yeah, it's important to like work in a team and be able for people that you trust that can be honest with you and be like, okay, you need to cut that. doesn't mean anything. You need to cut that. But you also get better at self, like doing that yourself over time. And just being more brutal, because because I found like I found that I I was just it was still a novelty that I was making I was doing I was cr like shooting things that looked beautiful, like that it took me ages to get get over myself and get over the novelty that like I could shoot things that looked good, and I was like yeah but I can't lose this we can't lose this I can't lose mm. this it looks so good, and then once you get you just get used to it. I guess you get bored of your own work, really. <laughs> so you're like, you're not as precious. You're just like, yeah, cut that, cut that, fuck it. <laughs> and what about, because I remember, um, I remember speaking to a filmmaker a few years ago. I was talking about the process of editing and kind of the the enthusiasm after you've shot it to then to edit. After filming, how long did it take until you actually started the the editing process or even... If you've shot a particular day, let's say you've shot one day, you send that off um, to your DIT for a day or uh, whatever. Um, did you start making cuts when you finished each shot day, or did you wait until you've compiled everything? When you're, uh, when you're, the 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 nature of the production was that um, it was funded by it was funded privately in bit parts, so you didn't you don't get the the full amount of the production costs um, up front. Which then, which meant that throughout the, throughout the, the whole film, we were cutting sizzle reels of the of what the footage that we had so far to then entice like new investors to invest in the in the right. film. So the good, there's quite a cool exercise in in that because you it reminds you of what you have instead of just waiting right until the end. Um, mm -hmm. It reminds you what you have as you go and and what you need what you need to get. And, um, so yeah, no, I mean, but then. At the end of that, you have um, a 16-week edi editing period where um, our um, kind of senior editor, Kevin, came in and was just like in the office for 16 weeks solid. And then him him and Will kind of basically like would literally cut little scenes and then like kind of swap them between each mm. other and kind of piece them together like a puzzle. Um so, what was your question? <laughs> uh, about the yeah, I was talking about the editing process and yeah, yeah. Um, and how soon after filming did you get onto the editing? Yeah, desk? yeah. So, I mean, this was like we the, it, it got picked up by Universal before we cut the film, mm. and so we but they wanted it in a crazy short period of time. So he Kevin got came in for the week before we stopped shooting. So the week before the the world title fight. Um, he 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 was already in the ed in the office. Like we had hundreds of hours worth of footage, so like that took a really long time to wrangle. It's in, it was insane amount of footage. Yeah. yeah, are you? Could you imagine yourself being on the editing desk? Because I've definitely after yeah. a couple of years filming now, I'm like I know what I like. I am. Um, the good thing is, is that as you find people that you trust, you uh, trust them to, you know bring their own creative their own flavor in their own flavor yeah so like so i used to do a lot of editing and we um have been working with will for quite a number of years now 
and I trust him creatively to bring something that I wouldn't have thought of and also yeah I mean that's that's really the main thing mm -hmm. it's like you you have these collaborative partners um, who you give your baby to you know and, and, and understand that this is as much their project as it is yours and anything that they bring can only better the film so you're kind mm. of like you you give that trust to someone knowing that they're going to bring something something else to it yeah. and they think of stuff that you would never have thought of and also the other thing is 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 if they weren't there shooting it and they weren't that close to it they they have an objectivity that you can't have when you're when you're I, shooting I mean it. even working on that project of yours you know I'd present Will with uh a cut that I'm like yeah, that works it, you know it flows yeah. and then he's like oh let me have a quick like mess around and he spent two three minutes going over it and I'm yeah. like oh shit yeah. that looks so much better did and, you find that yeah, oh definitely yeah, I mean yeah. don't get me wrong I, you know and what, what, what specifically was his what did you notice of what he did like something that he, he particularly did or was it just the speed in which he did it or what was no it? it was it was the quality of learning where the cut should sit not only that, but how much pre-roll you need or how much post, how much time do I need to give that? Mm. And also, what would the audience think? Because sometimes I lose it in the moment and think like, that looks good. But actually, what, hold on, what are the people that are watching it going to think? Um, and I was just so impressed to see because, I, you know, I think, oh, we might want to give it, let's say give it another 20 frames. I want 20 frames of that. And then people are like, actually, let's bring that a little bit more. Let's cut that a little bit back. And it, it's hard to describe describe it the the edit but you get a vibe you know you get that feeling like that feels right it sits better yeah especially when you're 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 putting in sound design yeah and that's something that i don't utilize as much to be honest with you but when yeah. you, when you do like yeah. for instance with wheels putting in this little things i'm like oh that brings that up and all oh, that huge it's, it's, like, so it's wow. a huge thing and the, the sound design is like something that people people really just don't appreciate enough how good how how important sound design is and mm. how much it leads the film it's, it's as much as important as the visuals and uh i always thought of it as an afterthought and then since we started you know really giving it respect it's like our work has, has improved so much oh yeah so much more. and that's what will does is that you know with a commercial with with commercials you have to be able to sell in like the first cut to the client and like, if you don't, you, you have to use every tool in the bo box to be able to like sell it to them. Mm. And it he he places this kind of temp sound design over the top, and it just helps sell it so much. It, it will just bring life. it brings the whole thing to life. Mm. Yeah, completely. Oh, that, yeah. I was just I was really blown away, and I, yeah. it had been a while since I I worked with another editor that really knew their shit. Yeah, and uh, I I was very I was so impressed, and I. Yeah every moment I can to try to take little bits and I question like why did you do that why did you see that yeah. and the great thing was Will is that he had a, he had fantastic patience you know to to sit there and be like oh that's kind of what you know why I did that and I was like wow that's that's amazing Will's Will's um he's the he I don't think he's human actually like the <laughs> the levels to which he doesn't get angry in any situation he's, he's got so much patience and, and i've seen him in like you know he's worked with him so long now and we've we've worked in such high stress situations on like ridiculous deadlines with like no sleep and the guy doesn't get angry like it's insane to me he'd make a good um astronaut that sounds a bit <laughs> slight career <laughs> change but calm uh, under pressure yeah 
cool head. Also, yeah, he's, I he mean, just, just crank out the work. Do, I don't know. Mm. I don't know if he would actually make fashion. <laughs> I, I think what's important is that he'd explode. Did you fashion not something? I think he'd be the first to admit that he would be a shit ash- astronaut. I'd, maybe, I don't know, maybe one Well, maybe we can't all be a good that. astronaut. I don't know fine. what makes a good astronaut. I don't know. I mean, what is an astronaut these days? Who the fuck knows? Mm. Like what, 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 who is do being an astronaut these well, days? I, I, watched a, I watched a program. There was a TV program, though, of someone who was an astronaut guiding people through. It's a TV program guiding them through all the training they'd have to do. But the person who won the program got through to the actual selection process. All right. Oh shit! So yeah, they so didn't even get no, to be an astronaut. They got a place to get in to and the then, selection. Program. What was the main bit of training that you were like, okay, that's really intense. I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, I thought that G-force thing. But before we get too I think carried it was being away, clever. I, I do want to kind of read it back slightly and and just say um, I think it is really right. important to have patience, especially with editing and when you're dealing with clients. Yes. Um, you know, there's been moments where I'm working with some quite difficult clients and they expect a lot from you and they you're underpaid and you're like, you know what, I'm really not enjoying this pro- this project. I want to get it done with, and you're trying to hold back. Um, and that's something I've definitely learned is when is in controlling controlling the conversation and trying to make sure like you're there to produce something and do your best at it and make sure that all both parties are, are good yeah um yeah yeah and, and just overseeing will's will's um uh conversation with with you know corresponding between yourself and mm. working with other people you know and you get that you get that chat log and like right we need this change and blah 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 just like straight on it yeah i just i just like wake up in la and just kind of start hammering him with information straight away it's quite funny they get like they get this like three they i i call i get up early and then, and i call the office at like seven thirty a.m in la and it's so funny because it's just like sometimes they're just like oh he's awake <laughs> do we have to talk to him right now or do we <laughs> and they're like sometimes they're like sorry, sorry dude we're really busy right now can't talk we'll chat we'll call you in a second and then sometimes they're just like they've clearly done no work all, de- all morning they yeah. just like want some banter yeah <laughs> and then they start just like destroying me I'm like and I'm like sitting there drinking my coffee leery all this mm. yeah all this uh, how is it managing um work you know being based in LA and having a team in 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 London um do you find the workflow is is quite good you have another team in LA um it's like you have to get up early because otherwise you're just not going to overlap because I was in New York for four years and that was like pretty decent times time difference like five hour time difference whereas LA is a bit too much so it's like but you get double the work done so Mm -hmm. we'll we've got we've really got it down in terms of like workflow like they would have been working on a treatment for a for a new project for instance during the day and then jacob will like we'll have a conversation at the end of his day as he's walking home and be like right this is what i wrote on the treatment like here's how i've laid it out over to you and he'll kind of tag me in i suppose that's a yeah that's a good way of doing it because if you're both working on the same one you'd just be working through it together wouldn't you and making you wouldn't necessarily actually do any quicker would you i think you do i think it's good being in the same room Mm. But the way we've just learned how to just, I don't know, it's been quite a good independent thing because we worked how to learn, learn how to work by ourselves, but with that sort of collaborative element. 
but we work together so long now that we know what each other likes and we know what we like mm. and we share a lot of the same tastes and there's and and so we just i don't know so it's kind of a well-oiled machine I, I wouldn't have been able to do it um if we'd have just started out or you know say i met someone may have you know uh, a part some sort of creative partner now in london and we tried to work together yeah it, it would be difficult because we just don't we me and jacob know each other so well like i'll know if he's in a bad mood and with the, as soon as he says hello I'll know. I was like straight away read the energy and like vice versa. And so we just, and, and we also, we, we kind of, we know each other, our expectations of each other. And so, you know, if you've done enough work or you've worked hard enough, it's like, it's that thing we were saying earlier about like, be either being hard on yourself or, or not. The cool, the good thing about having a, a partner is that it's not necessarily, you don't need to feel guilty about whether you've worked hard enough or not it's kind of more like have I done enough to be a team player and like have I, or have I let that person down mm. have I done enough work that, that 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 he is waking up in the morning having you know I've added 10 more pages to this to this treatment or this script or this storyboard where I've I've put him in a good place for the next day yeah and that's a weird thing it's like you're not just it's not just a case of like am I pulling my weight you're setting someone up for the day if I wake up and I see that he hasn't like really done that much for whatever reason you know maybe he's busy maybe he's just being a lazy cunt you know um it'll put me in a bad mood instantly yeah. if it's not if it's not enough and I'm like oh man I've been for like yeah, a hard day's boots, work you got, yeah you've yeah. got a lot and, to and it's the same with him if he wakes up and you I know you're done. gonna yeah do that the other way around yeah it's how, weird how long has it taken you to get to this point since since beginning your career i think that i just i don't know i'm only at the point where now where i feel like i'm i can i can even call myself a director and only the last like few years i'd say is that and before that you started yeah but i don't i just i didn't really we just kind of the way we started was just blagging it completely from the start so i i was i was doing photography and <laughs> i just I, I was on fa a bunch of fashion shoots and they handed me a camera and they said that oh, we want you to do behind the scenes video. I was in Mexico. And so I was like running around this beach doing like, and because I knew how to, it was before like the Canon camera, the EOS Canon cameras. Anyone knew they could really do video, how good they were. And then I didn't know what to do with the footage. So I was like, I'd met Jacob at the pub and I was like, do you know how to edit? And he'd been to film school because I hadn't been to film school. And he was like, yeah, I did it. He kind of did it in his bedroom. And from, from there, we just kind of went, all right, should we start our own company and should we do our own thing? And uh, th that was cool. But it's like, I wonder whether, had it been more of a traditional filmmaker's route where you're kind of, you're an assistant or you're a film loader or you're, a, you know, you're a camera mm -hmm. assistant and... um any of these jobs where you kind of just like you're on a film set every day and you're kind of learning as you're going and you're learning through watching I learned through just like making every mistake under the sun and so I don't know how efficient that was I think I was, it's funny because yeah. sorry I was pondering the your your first question as we started it's funny you said that because I think top of my list hang on he's got the answer you. now <laughs> <laughs> there we go how long did that was that 45 minutes top like of that? my list was going to be the power of blagging the power of blagging. 
<laughs> I can't believe that's top. It's not like it's not a good uh, what, moral they're, they're compass. Nice, oh, the nice one. The good, other one. Good moral compass. And then it's positivity strong, and strong, yeah, 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 ambition to I, achieve yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah so the, and and but but yeah. blagging is like it's just it's just good up until a point. I don't know. I just I, there's mm. there's a difference between like being a complete bullshitter and a, and a blagger. I think. Yeah. And, uh, but being com- just start though. You always have to. There's always that. Yeah, it's it's yeah. It's not it's not using it as your like, you do need <laughs> like to for everything. Yourself. But there's yeah. there's always that initial stage of you're not quite. You just have to just mm. give it a go. You're never gonna you're never gonna feel ready to start. I feel is what I, mean. I feel that about. I very much feel that about scripts and uh, uh, kind of screenplays and, and and that's not something I've ever studied or been really involved in. And that's how I feel right now. Is that. I'm like, I'd actually really feel that I would like to write uh, a script or scripts and a screenplay. And um, the only thing holding me back from doing that is a lack of confidence because I don't feel like I'm. Uh, I'm like I don't feel like imposter syndrome. Yeah, not having yeah. It. It's like I'm not a writer. So why why should you do that? And I, the, the, what I keep, what I'm trying to convince myself is, a, the amount of shit that's out there. The amount of shit scripts. Mm. It's like I can do better at least than those really shit ones. And also, it's just like you're making excuses for mm-hmm. not just getting down and doing it because the, the the doing it is the hard the hard bit. You just get your head down and just you just have to write. Yeah. And the reason I'm the 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 excuse is not that I'm not a writer because I've blagged plenty of other stuff. Yeah. It's not that I'm not a writer. It's just that I don't have the confidence to, that it won't be shit. Yeah. And that's where, yeah, I think I've found that as well. You don't, you don't have to have confidence if you have courage. Ooh, Cur- I like that. Cur- courage becomes confidence. If if you mm. you start, you don't know what to do, and you're, you, it frightens you, but you, you fr- it frightens you, but you do it anyway. That's the courage. But then if you keep doing that enough, eventually you will have done it enough, and then you've built that confidence. So I think they're both effective. I like, I yeah, no, I really like that. And uh, I do feel that on sets. So in on a commercial set, it'll be, it's a very different setup to the documentary where you have a studio, maybe a studio, maybe it'll be on location, but you'll have a bunch of like people in your crew you have to order around and uh, you are essentially just leading that set and, and dictate exactly what happens on that set. And the first few times I did that, I was just had no idea what I did I was doing absolutely no clue and um and again because I hadn't been through that kind of traditional setup I hadn't been in, on a lot of film sets and so I literally I didn't even know I couldn't even like just copy what other people said so there were people coming up to me asking me all these technical questions and words that I've never I didn't even know mm. what the words were <coughs> it's mostly like technical you know lighting words because I started DOPing and, and then we were directing and 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 I was just I just remember thinking to myself I was just like just look confident and look like you know what you're doing yeah and that doesn't mean that you're you're pretending like I would th- I would take a gaffer aside for instance who does you know essentially puts up all the lights um, and say look I don't actually know a lot of the technical terminology like you know sorry about that mm. help help me out here but like i know what i want 
Yeah. So I know what kind of look I'm going for. So just kind of, you know, read between the lines for me, help me out a little bit. It's not about completely like, because people, people know if you don't know what you're doing. Like they, they know, it's not, it's not that they, like it's not that you have to pretend that you know what, you, what you're doing because like everyone will sniff that out. But what you need to know, what you need to exude is, is confidence that you know what you want, mm-hmm. right? So if you don't know the technical term of a, of, um, <clears throat> of a particular light you're like look I want I want this scene to be to feel soft and hazy you know and I want it because this is the emotion of the shot and like that's how you communicate it with someone on set is that you kind of you you say this is what I'm looking for this is what I want the most important thing is is just making sure that people understand that you have a strong vision and you know what you want and this, this as soon as you start like being influenced by every little thing that happens and then you look like you're losing confidence it's like every no one everyone's it's like a ripple effect no one knows what they're doing Mm -hmm. it descends into it descends into chaos in such a quick like so so quickly yeah it's amazing and film crews film like film sets are like super stressful places really busy always uh, you know don't have enough time to do whatever (laughs) enjoy this get up Um, (laughs) You, it's always a high stress environment but it's amazing if you just keep your cool and just pretend, like look like you know what you're doing how everyone just stays calm Keeps and everyone grounded. just does it everyone just everyone just gets on with it and and, and it's and I've a couple of times I've got so tired or I've I've literally just like the whole thing's going to shit mm. and I'll kind of just lose my cool a little bit and I've no, I've genuinely looked back on that shoot and gone that's when I lost it that's when I lost everyone. Feel the vibe. Mm. That's what, it completely when I lost everyone. And and like so now my rule is just it, whatever happens, don't lose that game face. Hundred percent. Oh, it's man, it's so important. It's so important. So, but where yeah. where that think, lies in but then lagging it takes a sort of confidence because there's a sort of confidence in accepting you don't know something. Isn't yes, it? like yeah. you're going this. Like you say, this this is what I want. I've come to you because you're good at it. Uh, what do you think we should do? Mm. do you and, know and then people like also, like that you you know yeah. you've acknowledged that they're good at it completely and you what you do also do is you a you put your trust in them and 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 people i don't know people people respond to that sort of kind of one-on-one vulnerability as well mm. like if you can say to someone look i trust you not to you know give me shit for this or be a dick mm but help me out here one to one i i don't know what i want even if you're just like like i don't i don't actually like sometimes i'll say to to a cinematographer to a dop a cinematographer uh, i'll be like oh, i don't actually have a clear vision for this particular shot what i want mm. i know it needs to feel like this or I need to this, but can you give me a frame, like to suggest yeah. something? And, and then like, you've, you've brought, brought them that, into it, haven't you? That into and and they, yeah. they're, they're sort of engaged with it, aren't they? Yeah, and that's literally, I mean, that that is all, that's all that directing is, really. Mm. It, honestly, that's all it is. Just kind of bouncing off that a little bit, um, how do, you, do you ever feel intimidated when you see, like, especially at the beginning, when you're when, you know, from working from the ground up, um, seeing other people, people that are way more advanced than you or local competition did you ever feel intimidated that that may affect 
um, your work at all or or kind of your motivation? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I, it was, yeah, people on set are, like, you know, clearly have been working on um, film sets for, like, 10, 20 years. And they're the ones that, like, if they don't get on board, if you can't get them on board in that way that I'm talking about, mm. uh, then it's, it's, yeah, it's constant insecurity. Mm. Sorry, yeah, is I mean, is I, that people you... Sorry, with that people you're, you're working in, wi- in, with that have got in more, both, more ex- in both senses. Um, you know, just for maybe some more clarification, you know, also running a, a production company, I, I face other people, especially in London, that you know produce this amazing work. And sometimes you do get a bit like, ah, that's I wish I was involved in a project like that, so I can kind of flex my creative fingers and mm. produce something like that. Um, and that does sometimes demotivate you, especially at more crucial yeah. times. Well, no, I, I, mostly it's just seeing other other directors work and just being like, shit, that's so good. That's so good. Yeah. Like, yeah, I but mean, then it's, you can it's choose to be motivated yeah. rather than intimidated. Yeah. Well, the, the the way that you deal with it specifically with that is just creating work that you that you feel good about and feel passionate about. And and if it, if it's not something that you're getting professionally. If you're not, you're not, you're never just, you're just never going to get great work handed to you on a plate. The only way you're ever going to get work is if you've done something that's awesome and then you'll get hired for that exact same thing. Mm-hmm. People that don't, clients or, you know, no one has any actual kind of, uh, uh, no one has any imagination. They have to choose you as a, um, as a filmmaker. They base it on your previous work. Yeah. And so if you want to make that work and if you see someone that's ahead of you that has amazing, has done that amazing work, just be like, all right, what what is the best what is yeah. the best thing that I can possibly make so I can make so I can get hired to make that sort you, of work? Because you had that with an agency when you first went to LA, didn't you? That um yeah, it was it was commercial work. Yeah. You had all this sort of lovely footage of sort of documentary shorts and things you'd done, but they didn't have anything specifically of the documentary Style, I yeah. mean, of the yeah. commercial type advertising work that they were doing. Yeah. But you, you would, would have been more than capable of producing that the quality they're after. Yeah. But they, they, you didn't have anything exactly what they normally I use. I mean, it is. I mean, the commercial world is mental. I mean, mm. it's insane. And that's the thing. That's the. Oh, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm not quite sure how I feel about it in terms of the commercial world because I, I find it a really interesting challenge, and I love working with like agencies and I love like this whole thing of working in a big team and it's, it's all a load of problem solving but oh, your stuff gets watered down so much mm. like and, and you're just like what and also just that you it's like there's a thing about I don't know whatever it is tables and they're like oh you don't have any work to do with tables and your yeah, you obviously like, you're not. Yeah, it's, you know, it's some good some good work in here, and what you're asking for is just like a shot of a table, and this is it. Use your imagination, maybe. But um, <laughs> oh, it's really it's really frustrating. So the only way of the um, but there's no no point pissing and moaning about it. Is the way it is. So mm. if you want that kind of work, then the only way to get it is to make that work Go and, and make it. it off your own back. And like you know, it seems like you're that's something that you're doing a lot. Is that you're you're kind of self initiating a lot of work and it, it's all about what you want to make just make what you want to make um, Jay, change the subject slightly you've you know you're a, a man who's travelled a lot if you had to pick one one favourite 
what would be your favourite poo story? <laughs> I, Where's you know, uh, well, we like a good poo story here on Faffed About. Is it? As of late. And <laughs> just around the table yesterday, you were telling a couple of, a couple of crackers. Um, it'd just be, you know, interesting just to bring it back down to earth. Um, you know, you've been in a lot of places with, you know, questionable sanitation. I know you've had some... You've had some crackers. <laughs> I mean, I can let you brainstorm for a little while. You're right. I mean, I mean it's hard to I pick up one, isn't it? It's hard to pick one. Maybe I've a had top three. A good catalogue of stories, I'd imagine. I've had so many poos. That's yeah. the thing. <laughs> we, all, we all have, Greg. I've had so many poos. It's um, like, what was the best one? I don't, I don't know. You know. That was actually, that's a better question. question. We've all What's had a lot the best of poos? poo you've had? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Well, it's best poo story though. No, I know. I didn't but, want you but, to describe the consistency. No, of, I'm just thinking though. Would you be able to recall your best poo? That's a good it, question. Your, your poo was so good that you remembered it for years. Yeah, oh, I remember '98. That's a good. Yeah, it's a good. Question. January '98, I think it was. Yeah, oh, slipped out to perfection. Yeah, well, I've <laughs> been trying a new high fibre diet. Oh, it was going yeah. very well. Do you think you could name your best poo? But I'd, I know personally, probably more. Situations where it's been like, oh shit, like this <laughs> mm. is not a good space yeah, to be. Right you always now. remember yeah. the bad stuff, don't you? That's yeah, the trouble. But never I think remember that's the good human ones. nature, isn't it? We're human wired nature. to to pick up on negatives because that's yeah. where the, we're wired to spot danger. Um, but yeah, I think the standard, my, I mean, uh, probably the worst one was um, when I was cycling through Mexico. And, so uh, hang on, paint, paint the picture. This was. It was 10 years ago. Well, I wasn't going to go straight into the shit. I mean, would you go? Give me a fucking chance. Storyteller. Yeah, yeah. My next line wasn't, and then I had a really bad poo. Yeah. Can you just Can you just give me Mexico? Can you give me some space here? I'll let you storytell. So cycling through Mexico, oh shit. No. Right, so, yeah, so... It was a warm summer day. I was cycling through Mexico with my friend Mark. We decided to cycle from Canada to Costa Rica. Long way, beast. I know, four and a half thousand miles since you're asking, um, and we were horrifically ill um, on Long Baja, California. It's basically like a desert kind of peninsula, um, and we had not followed any of the rules because we we're bloody renegades. Um, we had drunk the water. We'd like eaten roadside tacos. Um, uh, oh, I've had that and that had flies on them and shit and we were both very severely dehydrated in the in the in this baking hot sun and we were deteriorating more and more every single day we were cycling so we were cycling and then to pitch up a tent would would camp you know in someone's garden or something um and we were it got to the point where you know i was you know every 10 minutes we were getting off our bikes and you know, just shitting by the side of the road. And there was one point where I kind of had this kind of, there was this mound of dirt by the side of the road and I had to go to climb over. I had to climb over this mound of dirt and like was was shin deep in it as I'm Oof. diving up. So so, so I'm just going up in it and I'm just thinking, oh, it's this horrible like feeling in my shoes. I just remember thinking, <laughs> I'm going to shit myself, <laughs> but... This is also an annoying feeling that adds to the negativity. Anyway, yeah. I would do that, do my business, come over, and I just remember seeing Mark on the other side of the road um, lying down, just kind of, just almost, just, I mean, he, you can't tell whether he's dead or, dead or alive. And that next to him is a roadkill dog. 
And I just remember thinking, <laughs> there is not much to choose from between this roadkill dog and Mark right now. Like you could, inter- they're interchangeable. They're, he was in a bad way. So we got to this village and we were like, okay, fine, we've got to, um, we've got to ask someone if we can stay in, in their garden and pitch up a tent for them. Like, we can't go on. We've, we've lost all our, our strength. Um, we were just, you know, shitting up outside every, every 10 minutes. And so we, Mark in broken English managed to convince a man with a white cowboy hat in this tiny little dusty village to take us in. So he kind of took us in and introduced us to his young family and his wife and his little kids. And his little boy had got really excited that we were there. He's like a ten-year-old boy. Immediately started, immediately started kicking the ball around in the in the garden. And obviously, we want to be gracious guests, so I go out and start playing football with him. But I'm shuffling, I'm shuffling around like some sort of strange, uh, shitty zombie, um, and like trying to, like, kind of, heart, eyes half closed, trying to just. I'm so weak at this point. And then Mark is then sitting inside, and he and this guy's got his his family photo album out from some like distant uncle in in london that he's had in you know in 1909 or something and he's showing him all these pictures and mark's like ah oh, yes yeah muy bien yes very good <laughs> and uh so we're like oh god kill me and then in at night they kind of have us around for dinner and they we're all around the dinner table and he, and, and we're having obviously really spicy home-cooked meal which didn't help at all um Mark actually reminded me last night there was a different there was parts of the story that I've forgotten which was I at one point was just like El Baño uh, what's El Baño? Uh, just the bathroom please ah. uh, and uh, so there's this sh- shitty little door that's like a tiny little place this 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 family home and I and we're all kind of sitting around the table but the door is like from me to you so like to where they're, door. where they're sitting it's like a saloon door just oh, like kind of swinging damn. and I'm like I have to go. I can't hold it in any longer, and just and just thought. And it's, it, there's that moment where you sit there and you're like, "Okay, can I make this quiet?" And you, it becomes very apparent that you can't. And just the looks on their face when I walked out have just just kind of horror. Well, it wasn't even horror. It was they were so polite, <laughs> and that's what made <laughs> that it was worse. The, horror. <laughs> the fact that they were so pol- polite and nice and smiley. They were just quiet, just quietly, yeah, just, sat, just like listening them. to you unleash hell. And they were like, and and so, and we got to got to the end of the meal, and we were kind of like, oh, you know, we better hit the hay. So we went out. We started like setting up our tent in their their, their dusty, concretey garden. And we started setting it up just like slowly, and then he was like, "No, no, no you can't sleep in the in the garden. Like, you have to sleep in sleep in our house. You have our bed." And so we had wow. her there, you know, um, put us in he, him and his wife's room. Uh, him and oh god, him <laughs> and his wife, wife and the and the two kids slept in there. The kids' room, which is tiny little room, don't even know how they all fit in there. And then ensued a night of tossing and turning, sweating. Me and me and Mark just had this the worst fever imaginable. Back and forth to the toilet. Um, didn't get a wink of sleep. And at one point, I sat up and just th- heaved all this vomit all over their marital oh bed. Um, oh no! Covered the bed from head from from head to toe. 
sat, Mark's still next to me, and um, and we it was a nightmare. And just had to lay there in in my own vomit. Damn. And uh, we got up the next day and just kind of had the the sheets and sheepishly kind of said, <gasps> oh. "Sorry, we." Oh, I kind of did this to your sheets. Sorry about that. And they're all dressed up, all nice for for church. And um, it's the last time they ever took any Englishman again. They're all dressed up like yeah, just all suited and booted <laughs> for church, or in their in their best best you know oh, Sunday Sunday wow. best. And we had to give them their sicky sheets and say sorry. And they were oh, like, don't worry. And they're just people. the nicest people. Oh my god. And they went off to they. they he was like, oh, I'll give you a lift to the chemist. He was like, oh, I've got some drugs for you. I would do, get you some drugs. And we're like, anything, just give us some drugs. Turned out to be paracetamol, which is way beyond. <laughs> we were way beyond that at that point. And, mm. and, it, was, and it went from bad to worse, really. And that, that day, we just had to, had to carry on cycling down a completely deserted straight road. Um, scary stuff. Ended up passing out under a tree. And just, I was done. I was actually done. I, I, don't, I actually was, was in a really bad way. And Mark had the wherewithal to kind of was hitchhiking any car that came along. We met eventually a pickup truck took us with our bikes and took us on to the next hotel. We stayed in that this like little motel for about four four days, just recovering. I actually think we had something bad. I, I think we had some sort of bad, some sort of really bad illness. And I, yeah. and I actually looking back on it, realised like how yeah. how serious it was. Yeah, yeah, you could have died from heat stroke very easily. I think the, I th- I've watched a documentary and someone it possibly was did just, die of heat stroke. Yeah, and it possibly was just severe heat stroke. Yeah. Like it wasn't even just it wasn't even like you know the thing you you imagine is it's you know that's the water, it's like food poisoning or something or something like that. I didn't have a hat on. Mm. And the sun, the Mexican sun mm. in August, I think it was. That's when I was there. It, the sun was beating down on me. Yeah. And the water was just like, it was so really warm that you that. couldn't drink it. Like it was like boiling water. It was just dri- dribbling down your chin. Mm. Oh, that's the thing, man. Because I, heat stroke just actually makes you sick. Like genuinely sick. Yeah. Well, I, I, like, I've watched a documentary of someone who was walking... I think it was that Himalaya. I don't know. He was, he was walking around the world anyway, and he, he went and met someone. I can't remember what country they're in, Africa somewhere. Um, and then he was just hiking with his mate, who's done a lot of travelling. And the next day of the film, he was he was like, "Oh, um, Barry died <laughs> last night. <laughs> <laughs> he just died of heat stroke." And it was Quite like, oh, there. "Shouldn't what? Laugh. <laughs> he just seemed fine." Mm. And then he overheated. But Barry seemed fine. Yeah. Yeah. That you're alive. I was like, yeah, so I, that works. That's yeah, no, this, that was well. That was that's the main shit. So I've got loads of shit stories, but we'll do. Uh, maybe yeah. we'll just yeah. make well, it. I think, episodic. I think. How are we doing for time? Well, I think, I think, I think on that pooey vomity note. Wait, so that's the end story yeah. of the yeah. episode. <laughs> that this is, is like that is my thing. That's that, how we roll here. On wow. Yeah. About. Um, Can you not make that a clip? Like that's just going to be the. Th- <laughs> you're going to put this out and then just do it like a ten minute. So we'd be like, yeah. all be like, that preamble. Was this just week's a- episode of fucking about um, was mostly Direc- complete and utter bollocks. Director's cut. But here's the director's cut. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, exactly. Well, you got to you got to cut down, haven't you? Cut down That's until you real bits. get the real gems out. Yeah. yeah, don't think that was the yeah. You yeah, <laughs> paraphrase me slightly there. <laughs> don't think that was what I was thinking. Uh, yeah, when I was saying that, yeah, um, I, th- Greg, I think you were. <laughs> Greg, thank you so much. It's been thank such a pleasure. Much for uh, having me in this field. Yeah.
ha- not having me like having me in, <laughs> like that was earlier he had me in the field yeah <laughs> he had me in the farmer's field yeah that was that was magic is it obvious is it apparent from the camera that it, we're in a field I think on the or have I given the game away I think so we don't supposed to be in the day supposed to be a studio <laughs> with no heating yeah How do we get outside yeah um, yeah. all right Go on, sign, awesome. signing out farewell farewell